With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash BC Radio. Aloha. Tonight on BC Radio Live, we're going to come to Ray Ponto of the Bangkok Five. Their new album, We Love What Children, is on then we'll chat with Christian German every day to find out what they think about how to And finally, we'll speak to Jeff Belanger, the author of Weird Magic, who wrote this Friday morning, and he's going to talk about that. For Wednesday, May 28th, 2008, this is BC Radio Live. The chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio and the live video feed is now running. I am Philip Wynn, Chief Geek at BC Magazine, and I am joined tonight by Eric Olson, the founder and publisher of BC Magazine. Hello, Eric. Philip, hello. How's that for sliding in uh, under the wire? <laughs> I was noting in the chat room that it would be absolutely great if you actually did call in, but uh, I began the, uh, the intro to the show watching the switchboard for your number. <laughs> I was I was absorbed in researching our fine guests. I got oh. caught up in the latest blog post by the Bangkok Five. Did you see that? Uh the very latest one. Gosh, I was Well, on there. second the latest, I guess, technically. It's okay, Anyway, yeah, we'll was... save it. We'll save it for when uh, Ray is on, but it is it is quite a tale. So yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about tonight. We are we're back to the variety here after the after the punkish madness of last week where the the uh switchboard was swamped by 12-year-olds and we finally <laughs> we finally got to our mindless self-indulgence guest and 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 we we actually had some something bordering on verbal sparring for the first time and I don't know, maybe ever on this show. Yeah, he, he sort of had an edge, which which I enjoyed, but you know, I had to I had to smack him down a bit. <laughs> Indeed. Well, um, let's see. We do have a caller, and though it's not necessarily the area code I'm expecting, we'll uh, we'll we'll run with it and hope that it is who we're looking for. The album is "We Love What." Kills well, actually, it. we're looking for. Excuse me. Trish is first. Oh, Trish is. From Engage, okay, well, 707, because she has to do something at, at 920. Okay. Well, it's still not that number either, but we'll see. Uh, actually, who who is on the line tonight? This is Trish. Yay! Okay, very good. All right. Well, uh, right now there are large portions of the Internet uh, abuzz with talk of the new movie Sex, of the Sex and the City. Uh, but before there was a high-profile movie, there was a hit cable TV series, and some people suggest it changed dating forever. In fact, Engage.com, a social dating site, conducted a survey last week to find out what single people thought about the series and its effect on dating. 
And uh, you can find the details of that survey at blog.engage.com. But here to talk with us tonight about the results is the VP of Love at Engage.com, Trish McDermott. So welcome Hello. to the show. Hey, ni- nice, to, uh, nice to be here, and I'm feeling a lot of love tonight. Yeah, well, you I- should. You're the vice president it. of SAME. Uh, I'm feeling <laughs> it from you, though. Are you sending love my way right now? Absolutely. Uh, sure. The VP of love. We are we are vibing you. I am I am digging that vibe. Excellent. I, I was really interested to see this uh, the results of this survey. I um you mentioned one of the the first things that that's mentioned in your blog post is that uh, women were more likely than men to say that they were a fan of the show, and uh, I I, I uh, thought about this. I thought, you know, I don't know if my wife would admit that we used to watch the show every week, but I, I'd be reluctant to do so, except I've just done it. But, yeah, no, uh, I have to say my wife and I were both fans. Yeah, and I think a lot of men watch the show. In fact, a lot of men said they learned about dating women or more about dating women from watching the antics of, you know, the four girls in New York. Um, I think for women, though, Sex in the City was a very empowering dating experience in that it suddenly felt like women had social license as a result of this show to date like men. And in our survey, a lot of women said that. And something like 80% of all single people said after the show came out that women started dating more like men in that they felt free to play the field, not necessarily looking for commitment, and were really out there having fun much in the way that men had done over you know, centuries and centuries of dating. And so, drink so martinis. <laughs> or well, and let's just talk about shoe shopping as well. In fact, 30% <laughs> of the people in, in our survey, 30% of the women, say that Sex and the City influenced their shoe purchases. So, you know, it was really interesting. That show meant a lot to single women. I think we watched how other single women dated. We watched the issues that they faced. We talked about it. It was a very social experience. Who did not talk about breaking up via post-it note after that happened on Sex and the City? It really, <laughs> it's socialized dating. It may, I'm sure if you and your wife were watching it, you went back and forth on some of the choices and conundrums that single women and single men living in a large city like New York face when they're dating. Well, one of the big questions I know that my wife and I discussed when that show would air would be, how realistic is this? And, and I guess what I'm hearing from you is that it it may have reflected a, a relatively small percentage of the population when it started, but according to your survey results, it seems to have, uh, by the end of the show at least, it reflected a pretty large swath of people. You know, I think that the show was somewhat realistic in it took general dating issues, like, for instance, you know, how Carrie just could not get past Mr. Big. And, you know, so many women have some man that they're pining for in some way or another, and they do crazy things to bring him back into their lives. Uh, And then it kind of went, you know, it played with these issues. And I don't think many single women experience, you know, half of the dating drama that these women experience, but it wouldn't be good television, you know, if, if it wasn't there. But interestingly, you know, I was working in the online dating industry when Sex and the City first started airing. And what I noticed after a year or two was that men in urban communities would call me up because I used to write a dating advice column. I did a lot of live radio where men men and women called in with dating questions. And they would complain that because of this show, it was harder and harder when they met a nice woman to convince her to settle down. In other words, women felt extremely liberated. I think it was a good, positive experience for a lot of women. But for men, it wasn't necessarily a positive experience. 
they thought that it changed the way women dated and not necessarily in a good way. Right. Now, one of the results that you've got on here is that uh, 52% of singles surveyed uh, said that the show influenced their dating lives, but 12% of them said that it was a negative influence, and, and men were more likely than women to say that the influence was negative. That's right. And, you know, the biggest complaint men had about sex in the city was they felt that it trivialized their emotional needs. The emotional needs men have around dating, it kind of played with them and maybe, you know, bulldozed over them to a certain extent. And interestingly, the biggest complaint that women had was that they felt the show put far too much emphasis on being beautiful on the outside, wardrobe and fashion and, you know, the best and most expensive shoes, and very very little emphasis on being beautiful on the inside so that infidelity and promiscuity and, and you know, I'm not judging here, but just qualities that don't necessarily make for lasting relationships and some don't speak for integrity of character were um, not only common day but almost applauded, you know, that it was interesting and fun and um, the women often did not feel apologetic about that behavior. So it was interesting, although women identified with the show and certainly identified with Carrie Bradshaw and also Samantha Jones, um, they also felt like it, it, it really, maybe it was impossible to be those women and be as beautiful and fashionable, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's not the quality of your wardrobe. It's the quality of your character that really makes for meaningful, lasting relationships. So like you said, the show turned women into men as far as how they dated. Uh, you know? And being unapologetic and being uh, serial uh, users of other human beings and, uh, you know, doing the whole thing. Uh, seriously, though, I, I watched it only a few times, and oh, my God, I, I, I was just – absolutely drowned in estrogen just could not take it i watched it with my daughter one time who's who's older she's 24 now so you know i don't know what she was a teenager i suppose when we watched it and she i could i saw it in her face she was just absolutely enraptured by it and and i think it was probably the the empowerment of it all and and man i, I hate to think that that has led her <laughs> to where she is now at this stage of her life, but uh, she's 24 now. But anyway, I, I was just appalled by by the um, the emphasis on uh, womanhood. And, and, and going through it, I thought, I, as I actually remember thinking about, well, why am I reacting so strongly to this? Is it, is it really that different from most shows, even even other shows that feature women in leading roles in that, this one really, truly isn't, you know, from a man's point of view at all. Is that what it is? And am I, am I that biased in, in that regard? So I was trying to figure it out at the time because, you know, the writing was, was witty and it was interesting and it was funny and, and the characters are certainly appealing each in their, you know, in their own way. But I, I just remember this absolutely gut-level reaction against the show. I wonder how many other men have responded that way and I really didn't go back too many other times because I just I just felt I felt like it, I felt like I was intruding you know this is not for me this is not about me and and I I shouldn't be watching this it's it's wrong it's against god and man well <laughs> you know I think for some men uh sex in the city was a peek behind the mysterious curtain of dating in a woman's woman's life uh, women are highly social in their dating experience. They involve their friends. I can tell you there's very few women who don't go on a first date with a man 
the following morning who don't get on the phone with one, if not two or three or four of their friends. Women socialize around dating, around all aspects of dating, looking for dates, going out you know, with each other to clubs and cocktail parties, what you wear on a date, who's dating whom, other people's dating, dating life. I mean, it is a highly social experience. And that's part of the reason why we built Engage. You know, Engage is like a combination of an online dating service like Match, which was a company that I helped found, and a social networking service. So it's a social dating community where your friends do much like what the girls in Sex and the City did for you. They send men your way, or women. They vote on whether or not someone is appropriate for you. They make suggestions. They debrief after a date with you. They can actually introduce you to someone. And Sex and the City and all of those dating reality shows that launched around the same time, like The Bachelor and uh, Alex Michelle, ABC's first Bachelor, he's a friend of mine, we used to take him on the road, and we were astounded by how many women wanted to talk about dating, what they saw on these shows, what was going on in their own life. It was a huge social mix. And I think for men who don't necessarily call up their best buds right after they've been on a date, I think the peek behind the curtain of what really goes on in single women's dating lives and how much they rely on friends, I think it was it was very interesting. A lot of men said they learned from it. Some men were a little freaked out by it. But I think that is a very realistic portrait, that part of it, that just very gossipy, chatty, social, everybody involved in everybody else's dating life. That's what dating is like for a lot of women today. Hey, I really would like to talk about Engage and perhaps have you walk us through it. Uh, but before I forget, just because my brain is, is so porous these days, um, the other thing that that I'm a little surprised you haven't mentioned yet, because your your grasp of the show obviously is is excellent. But uh, the one thing that that I did notice or have noticed as a mostly non-watcher and visceral reaction opposed to the show kind of guy, though, is it, what it it did is it showed women who were not all that young, and it allowed them to get even not that younger. And I'm wondering, what are their age ranges now with the movie coming out? I mean, you know, we're talking middle age now. Well, and that, that's really unusual. Woman, so, uh, yeah, I mean, they were thirty-something women, uh, you know, when they were dating during the HBO series, and I think they're they're early for, late, you know, late thirties, early forties now, right? So they definitely did age. What was interesting, though, if you remember the character Samantha Jones, she dated very young men. And, you know, in many ways she was marrying, you know, Demi Moore and, um, you know, real-life high-profile women during that era who were also suddenly uh, able to date very young men and that we as a society seem to accept it a little bit more than we did, say, 10 or 15 years ago. So in some ways uh, I think, you know, the show helped to usher in some social changes, including the fact that women in their 30s and really approaching 40 are still vibrant and sexual and interesting and funny and attractive and glamorous and beautiful. I mean, I think in that way, it was very affirming and very empowering for women. Uh, you know, I agree. Thing. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm, I'm agreeing with that because, you know, unlike, uh, and they lived happily ever after, um, women, just like men in real life, actually get older. <laughs> no. Not no, it's true. I swear. And you know what? I think, I'm, I'm going to look this up while we're while we're chatting more, but I think Kim Cattrall. I think she's close to fifty, frankly. But she, anyway, she was, she was she is fifty two right now. <laughs> I'm right. So, so she, there she you go. And, she, and yet he, she is, you know, all Miss Glamorous and 
as you say, dating younger men and uh, living, what's that called, the cougar, the cougar lifestyle? That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and having the thing, fun. And having the her fun. The thing that I learned from the show is also my biggest complaint. I, I note from your survey, just one last touch on the survey, that uh, my complaint as a man is not the same as the uh, general men's biggest complaint. My complaint was I now know far more about shoes than I ever wanted to know. I mean, I know, I know the names Manolo Blahnik and Jimmy Choo, not that I'd ever recognize a shoe by either person. You know, but, that makes that, you incredibly more dateable. Just right there, that <laughs> statement alone. <laughs> well, it's, what it's, is it about shoes? That's what I want to know. What, what is it about women and shoes? I mean, to me, I swear to God, not kidding, shoes are flipping shoes. Sure, some are uglier than others. Some are more functional than others. There's better and worse, just like there isn't anything else, but... I swear to God, to me, they're just footwear. What is it about women in shoes? Yeah, but you have to ask yourself, you know, and I don't know if you're married or if you're, you know, out with the woman of your dreams and she's in a old beat-up pair of loafers versus a beautiful high heel that really shows off the length and elegance of her leg. There, There is a difference. You know, shoes don't make the women, but uh, they certainly attract the man to the woman. And, you know, you see a woman just sort of, dangling her shoe, you know, crossing her leg, maybe looking at you and dangling her shoe a little bit. It's a very flirtatious thing that women do, and it tends to draw men's attention, especially to their legs, which for many women is a good attribute to to put out there. Oh, I have no problem understanding the appeal, to the, the sex appeal of of shoes, you know, or various kinds of footwear. Uh what I'm trying, what I don't understand, I mean, sure, I understand some shoes make you look better than others, and in women in particular, we're talking about. No, I understand that part. That 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 I can handle. What I don't get though is what's the relationship between women and their shoes? Why are women so enamored of their shoes and spend so much time and effort and money uh, again on what's essentially, to me, just footwear. I mean, it seems to me to go far beyond the utilitarian aspect of maximizing sex appeal. You see what I'm saying? I do. You know, the show was very interesting because it often would leave uh, Carrie in a situation where she either had to buy the shoes or make her rent for the month. (laughs) And that was always a tough choice for her. Uh, You know, so I understand your point that women can obsess about shoes or perhaps, you know, go too far. But on the same level, you know, women like to be beautiful and stunning when they walk into a room and they, they want to turn heads. Okay, so you, you're saying that, 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 is, that is the purpose. There's not some sort of weird, bizarre relationship between women and their shoes that transcends uh, the, the sex appeal that the shoes then yield to them. I, you know, I don't I'm actually happy to hear that. Was, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a foot expert, but uh, that that would be my guess. So, okay, good. Know, an, another interesting stat from the survey was that 19% of men say that it actually they think Sex in the City made it easier for them to sleep with women. So you know, there were some men I think who were very happy that this new era of the carefree woman not necessarily looking for a commitment had been ushered in by this series that they felt uh, it was the you know speaking as a happily married man so i have no dog in this fight whatsoever you know hey great 
Good, good for all the single guys. Yeah, yeah. rock it out. But now, of course, that you're saying that they're whining about uh, their emotions being ignored and that women are using them the way that men have traditionally used women for um, eons. So, you know, I suppose it's a little bit of turnabout's fair play. I imagine it's also somewhat exaggerated the actual impact of a television show because, you know, the sexual revolution hits in the 60s. So, I mean, we've seen really, really big changes and and you know women have been uh, liberated uh, lib- liberated liberated um you know for some time now it was the 70s you know when the when the ERA was put forth and all that so i i think we're perhaps focusing slightly too much attention on a on a given a cultural artifact but nonetheless it is very interesting and certainly that show does um emphasize those qualities i did i did real we're running out of time. Want to uh, talk about the site a little bit because you know that's important to you, I would imagine, Trish. And maybe run us through real quickly. How does a person use? How is it? How does it function? Well, when you come to engage, it's a dating site. So single people come and they put up a profile similar to other dating sites that you know you may have used. A lot of single people have done that now. But on engage, you invite your friends to join you, and they actually join you on your profile. So they put their photo up. They can vouch for your character and brag about you and ways that you can't always brag about yourself and get away with it. Um, and then your friends, when they log on, they uh, see people who might be appropriate for you or other friends that they may have on the site as well. And it really, it's really, it's a one-click suggestion, like Bob might be good for my friend Susie, click, and Mary might be good for my friend Sam, click. And they make suggestions. And then they also vote on suggestions that other people have made for their friends or their friends have made for their, themselves. So I might say, hey, I'm Trish, and you know, what do you think about Billy for me? And my friends vote, and they start conversations about it. And then they also actually can make introductions. So they may know a man that I'm interested in, but it's more likely they don't know the man, but they just say hello. You know, hi, hi, Mike, meet my friend Trish. Both of you worked in the Peace Corps. I just get a sense the two of you might be right for each other. So we try to create an online experience that really mirrors how people date in the offline world, which is, in a highly social environment, generally with their friends. When you go out to meet people at a nightclub, at a cocktail party, you usually have you know, your posse, I call them, with you, or your wingmen and wingwomen. And so they're helping you have fun and socialize on the site to be seen by a lot of people, to make a lot of connections, and then ultimately to meet the people who are right for you. And so in many ways it's traditional online dating in that at the end of the day, you're exchanging email with someone and hopefully setting up a date and meeting for a cup of coffee or a drink in the offline world. But the process of getting to that is a lot more fun and playful and social than on any of the leading traditional dating sites. Interesting. Well, we we are shockingly at uh, 22 after, and uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I don't know. I've been I've been married for. Um, all but about uh, eight years, nine years of my entire adult life. So I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in the in the dating mode. But by golly, I can certainly see how all of this is very important, and 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 how once you're in that mode, you know, it's nice that people, including women, because you know, women are people. I've heard that women. <laughs> no. Yes, it's true. Women, you know, can have the same options, can approach, you know, dating the same way if they choose uh, that men have been traditionally able to do. And and for that, we say thank you, Sex and the City, and 
Engage. Uh, yeah, one last thing. You know, even if you're married, you have a role on Engage because if you have single people in your life, you can log on and play matchmaker for them, for them, introduce them to people on the site, suggest them to people on the site. So we built a community that even old married folk, and I'm one of them, can uh, can still have some fun and still vicariously live through their friends' dating experiences. You, the VP of love, you're married? Uh, you know what? I, I, I met my love online, too. So I'm a testament to the technological dating revolution and uh, its long-lasting impact on our romantic lives. Very nice. Wow. Well, thank you to Trish McDermott for joining us tonight. I know you've got to run, so we will let you go. Uh, you can read the details of the Sex and City survey at blog.engage.com. Thanks, Trish. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Good night. Thanks, Trish. All right. Well, uh, the album is called We Love What Kills Us, and the band is the Bangkok Five. Here is a sample of the title track, We Love What Kills Us. We love what kills us. We live to bleed. We love what kills us. And the mirror doesn't lie about what it album of the same name. The band is the Bangkok Five, and you'll find their website at either the Bangkok Five, T-H-E-B-A-N-G-K-O-K-F-I-V-E.com, or myspace.com slash the Bangkok Five, spelled the same way. Uh, tonight, we get a chance to talk to Ray Blanco, the drummer for the band. Uh, right now, assuming that I can get a, a switchboard to cooperate with me, uh, welcome to BC Radio Live, Ray. Can you hear us? Well, as I was afraid, uh, he can undoubtedly hear us, uh, but I but we can't hear him. Hi there. Yeah, no, I just got a call. He he was uh, Ray was a little bit confused because he heard us, but we he we hadn't talked to him, so he just called me on my line, and he'll be calling right back on the uh, yeah, official he... Cool Guy line six four six five nine five three one nine five. And of course, we always invite our listeners to participate in the show, although they never do unless it's last week. And, uh, you know, so give us a call, 646-595-3195. By the way, I really like that song. Um, you know, it, it's it's cool, I think, that, that it's just an EP. There's only five songs on it, so it gave me time. I listened to the, to the five songs like four times in a row, which I never do even when I'm preparing for a show. I always, I always limit it to three. And this time I went overindulgent and went to four. And and they really grew on me. It's a really interesting combination of you know you hear the hardcore screaming as it came in there, and the beginning the vocals are almost Elvis like. So it's a really interesting, and you can even hear a little tiny slight bit 
of the Spanish, which I'm assuming is Mexican. We'll have to ask because we're talking about L.A. here. Uh, Mexican-American um, you know, uh, uh, flavor as well. So it's a, it, I find it a really interesting combination. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Philip, man, these guys, these guys, and, and it's it's Ray who's calling in as actually who uh, who wrote that blog. These guys are super articulate. The the latest blog entry and 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 really good storytellers about what happened to them out in Iowa is 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 worthy of uh, blog critics. By golly. And uh, so, anyway, if uh, I'll shut up if uh, Ray has uh, regained access to us. Well, unfortunately, the problem is not with Ray. It is with Blog Talk Radio. Um, the uh, technology we use to connect is completely and totally non-responsive at this time. So he has called in, and I'm actually unable to click the button that unmutes him so that we can hear him. <laughs> so... Uh, unfortunately, that also means because the the, the uh, website is completely non-responsive, I'm also unable to even play another sample of the band while we're waiting. Well, because can you like disengage or something? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm wor- working on it. Uh, refresh, you, you perhaps. You, you mentioned Spanish. Um, the interesting thing about this is that it's an EP. There are five songs, and then there are the same five songs uh, with Spanish lyrics. So it was kind of fun for me, who I mean, have a barely passable acquaintance with Spanish, but it was fun for me to play a song in English and then, and then play the same song in Spanish and, and try to line it up. So, for example, um, We Love What Kills Us is the, the first song on the EP, but then song number six, as it rolls around to the Spanish side, all of a sudden you've got Amamos Lo Que Nos Mata, which we can uh, hopefully play a sample of later, assuming we can get the uh, site to respond. Wow. Well, we've had issues lately. I, I, I guess it comes down to, when we've mentioned it before, the site, the organization has seen outrageous, tremendous growth. And anytime you have that kind of explosive growth, uh, with, with when you're dependent on technology, then unfortunately um, there will be glitches. And uh, we, you know, we've seen them from time to time. And I think it's probably pretty much a function of simply the outrageous, as they say, growth. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of shows now that they're doing on a uh, regular basis, and I think it's hundreds of shows every single day on the station. And last week, I know that listeners who uh, tuned in last week will know that we, we had some very frustrating technical issues in the second half of the show especially, and the reason for that ended up being simple. In addition to the almost 2,000 people who were listening live, we had uh, 267 calls into the switchboard. And uh, the switchboard really is primarily designed to handle five callers. Um, they recently expanded it out so that it uh, can theoretically handle up to 20. Um, I was able to cheat a little bit uh, while online and, and see up to 30, uh, but 267 was, was obviously way too many. Yeah, so though we had to clear all those people out in order to get <laughs> in order to get the the actual guest from uh Mind of Self Indulgence on uh the show and uh, finally we we were able to achieve that. Uh well, that is that is frustrating. Now we know why Ray was particularly frustrated and not knowing what was going on because he had called in and he was listening to us, but apparently we uh Philip cannot unmute him. Uh perhaps Ray, if you're listening, I assume you are listening now. Maybe hang yep. up. Oh, you're oh, on. There we go. I Yay! 
Oh, oh hallelujah. I was just about to hang up. Oh, so glad you didn't. Thanks for your persistence. How's it going? Hey, you guys are putting on a great little radio show. I was having a great time listening. So I was just going to say, I hope you heard all the wonderful things we just said about you. Yeah, it was spectacular. I was enjoying it. <laughs> so, yeah, just just because I keep mentioning it, um, I, before I forget, because, you know, I'm prone to doing that, uh, I saw that you were the one who wrote that, that really great story, the blog entry, about your experiences in Iowa. Why don't you tell everyone about that? Let's tell them how to find it first. That's on your MySpace site, <laughs> it's right? On, yeah, it's on our MySpace. MySpace, the Bangkok Five, spelled out like the city in Thailand, and spelled out F-I-V-E. Uh, and then I think it's just under the blog section. But we we try to keep uh, keep all of our fans up to date with what's going on. We have a lot of blogs. I also do a lot of video blogging and podcasting as well cool. with everybody. But uh, this one, this one I put into high speed because I wanted everybody to know we were safe for starters. And you know, we were playing a show like a, a festival in the middle of a corn stalk in Iowa. And about 30 minutes after we finished playing, and the next band was playing, all of a sudden the rain started coming in sideways, and a tornado touched down about uh, about a mile or two from where we were. And it w- it went from. Uh, a great rock and roll event to complete and total chaos all the way with the sheriff yelling everybody run for the ditch we're all gonna die <laughs> and, and anytime the sheriff's telling you that you know you you kind of think you might have a problem on your hands <laughs> very wizard of oz huh yeah i mean i didn't realize how close it was to us we you know we're from california nice sun and uh you know the occasional earthquakes which you can't do anything about but when you're dealing with you know, weather that you can see, you're kind of like, okay, this is fine, I can deal with this. And But apparently, you know, we didn't see that there was a tornado just a few miles from us. And I didn't even figure that out until the following day when I was talking to my mother, and she's like, what what town were you eating breakfast in? And I was like, it, it was this town. And sure enough, that's the town that got wiped out. You know, I send my warm regards and best wishes to the families that are not as lucky as we were to get out of there, but it was definitely a an interesting evening, to say the least. Wow. Carbon, Carbon, Iowa, wasn't it? Yep. Wow. Well, uh, for, for those, uh, yeah, you're right. That part's serious, and we're, we're certainly not laughing at that. But uh, your, your writing on the story is really excellent. So I, I would really encourage people to, it is, it's really good, encourage people to check out the blog section of the Bangkok Five, five spelled out, uh, MySpace page. It is It is some great reading, and I hadn't even made it to the, the video and the podcasting stuff. So, so that is great to hear. I will, I will delve into it further. Why don't we back up a little bit and and just sure. talk about how you guys all came together? Like you said, you're from L.A. and none of you are Thai, as far as I can tell. <laughs> no, we're all uh, Los Angelinos at heart. Uh, we all live in Los Angeles. Um, the band has been together for about four years now, and it kind of was created by our singer Frost and bass player Cuates and uh, slowly pieced together the right members that we knew were correct for the long haul and were lifers that could do this forever. And, uh, you know, we had a couple, we had a guitar player that went on some great tours with us, and he, you know, bless his heart, he's like, guys, I can't do this. I, I, I have a life sometimes. So, we, you know, we, we found the right members that are out here kicking some, uh, kicking some butt on the road and just enjoying ourselves and making the best of what we got out here. You are fanatically devoted to the pulp. <laughs> I, I mean, yes. to the rock and roll is what I meant. You know, I was totally right. overcome by Monty Python there. 
Nothing wrong with that. Now I just picked up the uh, the five disc set where they do the the best of each of the individual members. We've been watching it, so I'm oh, that's I'm, phenomenal. I'm I'm in that group. So you're in Cleveland right now, right? You're right down we, the road from me. Well, it's that's like what that. I heard. Yeah, we're, we're at a thirty bodies miles. tonight. So uh, when's that going to happen? When's the show? Do people still have time? I'm to actually uh, I actually uh, took a little moment from my warm up so I could come out here and talk on the phone, but we're on next actually. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we, 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 you need to be attentive to that, I suppose. And you're the and, drummer, right? Yes, sir. I play the drums. How, how, have you been in other bands? How, I mean, is this a, are, the, are you guys veterans, or is this kind of a, uh, are you young guys? Uh, we're all fairly young. I was in a band that was on Warner Brothers before this called Hometown Hero. We actually had oh, yeah. a, a good sure. song out, a couple songs on the radio, did a few things. Um, yep. But this band is uh, this band is where it's at. The Bangkok Five. We're on. We're getting ready for some exciting stuff. Our record drops on June 10th, called "We Love What Kills Us." Uh, like I said, we're on all the community sites, and it's all ran by the band. We like to interact as much as possible. We're on like all the podcast pages, MySpaces, and live videos, and all the exciting pages out there. And we try to get as much content from the road and get it to everybody to have a good time with us so they know what we're going through. <laughs> this tour you've been on, it's a, a MySpace tour, is that right? Uh, this tour that we're currently on is with a band called Boba Flex. Um, oh, yeah, just, I know them, too. Just just another band that, you know, doing the same thing that we are, and we're teamed up with them. We've been out with them all of May, and this is the third of the last show. We end in Detroit in a couple of days. And then we're going to be hopping on something else. We're not sure. We're waiting to hear from our agent, but we're going to be busy. Our, you know, Like I said, our record's not even out yet, and going to be really busy. <laughs> what label is that on? Uh, it's coming out through Sony MRI Long Live Crime Records. Ah, so kind of the best of both worlds. You get the major label distribution, but some... Um, indie love. Indie love, indie control over the matters, I think. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit of a controlling bunch. Like I said, we're, we're really hands-on, and we like to, we like to work, you know, and, and we, we want to... We want to make this experience as fun and as positive as possible for everybody, not just ourselves, but for all of our fans and stuff. And, you know, I, I think that they appreciate reading and hearing all these things from the road. So <laughs> I'm, sure they, I'm sure they do, especially when it's done well. Like, you know, it's not just the, uh, you know, phonetically lettered, you know. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it's, it's really well written and, and interesting and intelligent literate stuff but you know i don't want it to sound boring but i mean it's really well written with rock and roll attitude uh, well, <laughs> i appreciate you, that <laughs> uh, well it, i do too it makes it fun uh, you know it, it's really it, it, i think philip will agree uh, what we're gathering as we talk to bands we've talked to a lot of you know newish but but already successful and 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 bound for big things bands and um, what really seems to be the common thread these days is just what you said. People, you really do kind of have to take the bull by the horns and take the initiative, and the more you know how to do and the more you're able to participate in all of these various opportunities that are now available via the Internet in particular and, and all the various manifestations of it, you know, that's who's really getting ahead these days. The people who are used to having everything done for them just seem to be totally at a loss. Yeah, nobody's going to care about your career more than yourself. So, Especially in, in the industry where it's at now, and nobody's making money, and they're all still trying to make money. And, you know, it, it, the music industry is definitely a nightmare, but for some reason 
like our title says, we love what kills us and we stick to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the, what's, what's the people getting weeded out are the people who are in it for the easy money. I think the people who are going to come through are those who, who do it because they can't imagine doing anything else, you know? Yeah, that's that's kind of what we've all figured out. I mean, that's what I said, finding the right band members, it comes down to finding the people that can't do anything else. And I don't mean that in a negative, like a negative demeanor, but like when when I go home and we're home from the, from the road for a little bit, I either have to be writing or I have to be playing some music or I have to constantly be creating. And everybody in the band is the same way. And, you know, all the way down to Frost, he was diagnosed with it just like, hey, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to kill yourself. So you have to create. You have to be an artist. That's what you're destined to be. And, you know, there's really no way around it sometimes. A lot of people think it's – well, I'm going to be, choose my words very carefully. It's, it's definitely a blessing, but at the same time, it's, it's a curse. And well, it's not just what you do. It's what you are. Yeah, it's your life. It's your lifestyle. It's everything. Man, does that sound like a cue for a song, Philip? <laughs> I like it. it in, in fact, uh, here's uh, Amamos lo que nos mata. It's the uh, We Love What Kills Us, but this time around in Spanish. In Espanol. Amamos lo que nos mata. Vivimos para sangra. Amamos lo que nos mata. Y el espejo no miente. Baby! down to 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 uh, handle the uh, Spanish tracks for this EP did you actually just record only new vocals or is the uh, music different between them as well uh it's it's just new vocals on top um and I, actually that goes with a nice story Frost my singer actually grew up in Spain most of his teenage life so he's bilingual he speaks Spanish fluently uh my last name's Blanco so that goes without saying <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, re- the rest of us, we all live in northern Mexico as far as we're concerned. You know, that there's definitely strong roots there. And if you don't embrace it, there's, there's really no reason not to embrace it. You know, there's a whole amazing scene of Latinos there that we want to give because they're willing to receive. They want it. You know, they, they love it. But we actually sat down with this amazing, uh, this amazing uh, oh, man, drawing a word. I, I don't even remember her name right now. She, she's a UCLA grad student. Uh, and she helped us translate the record to keep it like pretty fresh, keep it as accurate as possible to to the the original lyric content, you know. But to keep it in the local vernacular as well, because Spain Spanish is not quite the same as Los Angeles Spanish. Yes, it's much different. <laughs> Interesting. Have you guys played in in Mexico or uh, yet? Or, or, or we have not played in Mexico. We intend on hitting all the Latin markets on this record cycle. Um, we did do a couple like uh, like Moon Two television stuff like that with Crash. This this interviewer it was a great time. We did outlines of us in, in Spanish and 
uh, acoustically also. It was pretty fun. We're we're having it. We're ready to do it anytime. So <laughs> yeah, we'll I mean, I think Mexico, it makes, we'll go. It sounds like it makes sense to me because, uh, like you say, there really is a thirst for it. A couple of bands we've talked to. Uh, the one was it Pierce Avail, Philip from San Diego yeah. that had played uh, Mexico and that had a really strong Spanish language following. I think. I think you know your Southern California roots and and that you know that that familiarity. And, and commonality, um, yeah, I mean, I think it only makes sense. It's really an interesting idea, and it's probably something that's, that's uh, a wave of the future because, you know, especially from Southern California, both, both Philip and I are originally from Southern California, and I, you know, I mean, I, I'm Norwegian, man, but I feel like a northern <laughs> Mexican myself, you know, even though I've exactly. lived in Ohio for half my life. You know, it's just it's, like it's a say, completely it's untapped scene, man. I, you go to like a Morrissey show, and you'll definitely understand what I'm talking about. There's plenty of Latinos that love rock and roll, and they love rock and roll. Oh yeah, well you got the whole uh, uh, what is it, uh, rock and roll and Espanol movement. I mean, that's a whole yep. channel, you know, on music choice unto itself. I watch that fairly often. It's cool. I love seeing it. I don't really know what they're talking about most of the time, but <laughs> I like a lot of the songs. You know. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, it, it 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 only makes sense. Uh, Philip, do we have any other music? I know, I know we're, we're we could lose we Ray at any moment. Plus, we're we're almost ready. Well, actually, we're we're already on we're to the next. Yeah, uh, we're we're, we're about out of time, and we do have one more guest to get to tonight. Uh, I'm going to play a sample though from Straight Fell Off. Is there anything you want to say about that song as we uh, leave you to going on stage in a moment? Yeah, every song on the record definitely has meaning to us, and, and we wrote them while we were on the road last year, whether it was with the Colt, Buck Terry, Papa Roach. We just had life experiences, and we wanted to put it all on record, and we did it 100% live, and there you have it. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Ray. It's really been great talking to you. Good luck to the band. I, I enjoyed the EP an awful lot, and... Uh, Thank you, guys. I appreciate the time, man. I, I really appreciate it. Well, we do, too. We appreciate your persistence as it appeared once again that the technical situation was going to blow up in our faces. But fortunately, <laughs> we, we, we got around it. So, hey, have a great show. I wish I was up there. But, you know, I'm down here in Aurora on the phone <laughs> doing my show. But, uh, yeah, I, I know Peabody's well. My son's band, he's got a... He was in a, a, a death metal band, and they, he played there many times. I know Peabody's quite well. Nice. Well, tell him to keep show. rocking. <laughs> All right, thank you very much, guys. I'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you. Bye. Concrete promises that came with spring Thought out quick like always, babe The taste won't sweet now not even sour The charming euphoria most will never feel The smart enough to avoid their fears It's when we really live We chance to die, girl But you are all about the things And all about the names All about exceeding your stupid little scene
Bangkok Great. Five. Yeah, Space Deluxe, one of the five English language tracks you'll find on We Love What Kills Us, available now at myspace.com slash thebangkok5. Actually, the uh, disc ships next month, but you can uh, pre-order it now. But uh, we are running low on time, so let's jump ahead. Uh, Jeff Belanger has devoted much of the last ten years to writing about the spooky or unexplained, and this month his new book, Weird Massachusetts, was released, part of the Weird U.S. series. It focuses, as you might expect from the title, on the Bay State of Massachusetts, and many unusual or fantastic tales are found within the book. And uh, welcome to BC Radio Live, Jeff. Hey, how are you? There's no oh, way you've been writing about it for ten years. You look too young. Ah, well, you know, what are you going to do? I started young, and uh, and I have a baby face. I still get carded. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, that happened to me, too, and then I hit the wall. <laughs> Living hard, man. Living hard. <laughs> Listen to that heavy rental music and uh, you know banging. I, I think the last time I was carded, I was about 32, which seems like a long time ago now. Oh, I was I was carded just a couple of months ago. I was 35, so. Oh well. To you. What a feeling. <laughs> so is Lisa with us? Uh, not in not in I, I guess human not, form, but Phillip? maybe in spirit. I'm Phillip? sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. I had a technical issue. <laughs> so is is Lisa with us? I take it not. No, I'm afraid Lisa could not join us tonight. Um, uh, but okay. I'm, uh, yeah. Well, that's fine because I I went through the book myself and I'm sitting here looking at it. What a great book! Uh, it's really well put together. I love the graphics on it. it looks like you know it's really quite quite expensively produced. This is isn't some uh, half-ass production by any means. And man, you got an <laughs> awful lot of great stories in here. I, I, it's a it's a super book, and and uh, I, I would imagine that it's doing pretty well. Yeah, you know the the, the whole series has been doing really well, and um, the guys that started it, Mark Moran and Mark Skierman, and uh, they started a magazine called Weird New Jersey, which is really proof that uh, dreams do come true. You know, these guys started ten years ago as this little photocopied zine, and it evolved into a, a glossy magazine, it evolved into a book, into a, a you know into a, a national book called Weird U.S. into a television show on the History Channel, and um, and now we've got these state by state books, and I have the dubious honor of putting my name on the Massachusetts version. <laughs> I take it you're a Massachusetts. I am. Uh, I actually they call us. Uh, I don't think you can say it on the radio, but it's Mass and rhymes with moles is what they call us. But they call us that mainly for the because of the way we drive. What is the real yeah, actual know, designation for a person from the state? A masshole. Okay, I said it. All right, all right. I mean, that, that's what it says in the state constitution and everything? Yeah, right, right, in, the, right in the constitution. Ted we, Kennedy told us so. We, the assembled massholes, um, right. here do by decree that... <laughs> that we will not use turn signals, that uh, you know we will be obnoxious when it comes to our sports teams, and we will not use the letter R unless we're on the radio and trying but to... But you don't have an accent or anything. What's with you? I know. I was born here, uh, but I moved out when I was two, and I kind of lived all over in northeastern uh, United States, and I came back about six years ago, which kind of gives me a, a perspective on our weirdness uh, yeah. relative so, so to all the various no- northeastern accents cancel each other out? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. no. Um, so I, I use my R's. I recognize that that, uh, that diminishes my authenticity when it comes to being the author of Weird Massachusetts, but... Uh, that's I, I'm stuck with what I'm stuck with, you know. I'm yeah, a product of my like, environment too. You sound like TV American guy. Yeah, God, I know. You know, maybe it's too much media over the years. I have no idea. But um, but yeah, no, it's um, it's it's but it's still a fun place to live. You know, definitely. It's it's. Uh, I think when you think on a national level of weird, gaudy states, you don't really think of Massachusetts. 
you think of California, of course. You think sure. of New York. You think of New Jersey. But, man, you scratch the surface just a little bit here, and we've got some real skeletons in our closet. It's pretty cool. I think you know, everywhere I, I, I does. Was, <laughs> I was up in uh, Rhode Island visiting family uh, earlier this year, and I, I spent a day in Boston. And if I I've heard of Boston. <laughs> well, if I if I'd had your book, I think I, my uh, my field trip might have been a little different. I think the spookiest place I spent any time in was uh, Trinity Church. And oh, okay. The, the spookiness can be argued there, but I mean there <laughs> right. there are some pretty trippy things in Massachusetts. You've got Lizzie Borden. You've got empty insane asylums all over the place. Yeah, you know it's um it, it's it's such I mean the country started here as far as you know I mean the, the the American Revolution was born in the streets of Boston you know it was the first shots fired in Concord we've got that going for us we've got this incredible Native American lore that goes back ten thousand years uh, from Cape Cod and the islands and the formation and their 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 mythical creatures and their magic and their mystery of the the Wampanoag people we've got the the fifth longest named location on Earth uh, it's a it's a lake in the town of Webster and it's called are you ready for this it's 47 letters long and I really can say it it's oh Lake Shagagaga Man Shagagaga Chabonabungamog and, that is positively uh, Hawaiian one more, time. <laughs> one more time Lake Shagagaga Man Shagagaga Chabonabungamog yeah huh? I, mean, I would have sworn you were Hawaiian. Quite- I think it was the same both times. Wow. Yeah, no, I know. I, I you can you can quiz me. I, I couldn't spell it for you without cheating, but um but it's forty seven letters long and it's more or less means that uh three different groups, including English settlers, uh living peacefully by a lake. It's um wow. it's a mouthful. And what's funny is this little town of Webster it doesn't have a lot going for it, but they've got this lake and uh and the the signs everywhere, you know, it stretches for, you know, twenty, thirty yards at some point. <laughs> I bet they milked that. They milk it for all it's worth because there's not a lot else going on there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm looking but, at the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Please, you're looking. I'm, at I'm just. Think, I'm just leaving through the book, which I've been doing, like I said, on and off now. And but I, I can't. I, I I don't want to fixate on the artwork, but I mean, it really is beautiful. It's super well put together. No, I was just can't, I'm coming upon the official witch of Salem, and I've met her. I've oh, Lori Cabot, really? Yeah, because I we have real, real good friends who uh, he's always lived in the. Boston area, and now he's up in um, um, Newburyport, and sure. so we always make the drive from from up there, you know, down to Boston and back. We usually go along the coast, and we always stop in at Salem because it's a combination of incredibly cheesy and incredibly <laughs> weird, and yeah. and historic, and so we always go there. And yeah, she's got the shop there, right? Yeah, Lord, there's actually uh, the town boasts something like 2,000 witches uh, in town, which is probably a bit of an exaggeration. But it's they're a funny eclectic group. They, there's a lot of infighting. They're very catty with each other. Um, but there's a lot of witch shops, not just Lori's. She's just one of them. But she was the first, uh, and everyone will give her that, even though some love her and some love to hate her. Um, the, the locals, you know, they, they will give her that she was the first one. And it's it's amazing how they cash in on this thing, you know. Uh, there were lots of towns that had witch trials. It's just these were so famous because of Arthur Miller's play The Crucible in the 1950s, which was an allegory for MacArthurism. And, uh, you know, my God, the, the Salem police cars have got witches riding a broomstick on the emblem on the door. You know, I mean, it, it must be tough to take a 5-0 seriously, you know, when he rolls up in that. But, you know, I guess he still has a gun, so he's got that. <laughs> well, hers, too, is, isn't hers on the corner, you know, where where the... 
the museums down the street and all that. I mean, it's kind of a really key location too. I think is why we've always end up rolling into hers and you know buying something somewhat illicit. You, know, you just get a tingle <laughs> walking in there. Ooh, I'm in a witchy witchy place. Right. You know? Do you have am, crystal balls? Am I violating my Christian vows and whatnot? Probably. So, yeah, I probably am. Hey. Uh, this is such a tremendous book, and at some point I want to run through just super quick. I'm going to run through the um, just your chapter titles. But why don't you just give us a couple of favorite favorite stories? I'm sure I'm sure you have a few. Yeah, there's you know Massachusetts has got um, there's there's a, a a spot in the southeastern part of the state that's called the Bridgewater Triangle, named of you know this named during a time when the Bermuda Triangle was pretty hot. But this was a, a discovery that a, a researcher named Lauren Coleman made in the 1970s that there was this large swath of land that had an unusually high occurrence of paranormal activity. Bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings, hauntings, cult activity, murders, uh, all in and around an area called the Hockamock Swamp and areas south, all, just north of Fall River where the Lizzie Borden house is. Um, and so the, this area just had an unusually high occurrence, he noticed, that, that didn't extend too far away from this large triangle. And uh, it's interesting, we have two hotspots in the state. We also have one on the western side called a place called October Mountain, which has been home to Bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings, and also ghost sightings near the top at a, an abandoned cemetery. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. We, we kind of embrace our paranormal here in Massachusetts, I think a little more than other parts of the country. Um, you know, just something about old New England, we just, we're a little more accepting, I think, that, uh, well, yeah, I guess it's on it. It's 400 years old. What do you want? Um, whereas other, I think other places might think it's either demonic or angelic or, or whatever, whatever. Um, you know, we, uh, we kind of embrace well, most it. Most other places in the country just don't have anything that old. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of it. I mean, if you go over to England, my God, you know, you talk to, you talk to those folks, you know, they say, of course the building's haunted. It's 700 years old. Don't be ridiculous. And, uh, they're just so matter of fact about it. And I think we, we carry some of those values here in New England. Sure. Well, it's it's uh, it's a little bit of old world, you know, here in the U.S. Like you say, sure. it's where everything started, and and there's so much history there. And it's not even just that it's it's that it is that old and that it is that history. It's that it is so much. It's so iconic of right. of the U.S. You know, it, it is the beginning of the U.S. and the Puritans. I mean, you know, you could be in you can be in Guam and you know about the Puritans. You know, yeah. the founding of the nation, and you're you're sitting down eating your turkey with the with the <laughs> Indians there in Guam. And, That's right. <laughs> uh, so I, I have a question: What of of all these paranormal? Because you do focus a lot on that, which is cool with me because I, I find that all fascinating. Of all those tales, which one of if any really convinced you? Which one really said, "Man, I I think that really could be true." Well, you know, I I actually had a, an experience in the Lizzie Borden house. Um, I. I I didn't intend to. Uh, I was there, gosh, back in January of this year, and uh, I was there with three other people. We had permission to be in the house. They were actually closed for renovation, so it was very cool. We had the house to ourselves, and it was around 11:30 at night. And the four of us were in the basement when we heard what sounded like two kids running in the hallway toward the kitchen, which would be just 12 feet away from us, just up the stairs and right there. And uh, we heard muffled voices that sounded like kids. And all four of us look at each other and go, oh, man, you know, we weren't thinking ghosts. We were thinking some kids just broke in, you know, we're in trouble, we got to call the cops, we got to do something. And we raced up the stairs, and there's absolutely nobody there. The doors are locked, everything's secure. And you sit there and you go, huh. I mean, if not a ghost, I don't know how to explain that to you, because we were right there, and we were there three seconds after we heard it. So 
that was certainly a, that was an intriguing experience for me. Um, wow. I still can't explain it. Um, but yeah, no, we've got you know we've got weirdness all over the state. You know, one of the other things you talk about important history and the founding you know of the nation. You know, if if you uh, if you ever get to go by Plymouth Rock in Plymouth, it's uh, it's easily the most underwhelming landmark in the United States of America. You know, and it's I sat there for an hour one day and just watched various groups come by and and uh, it, the same conversation played over and over again. People would look and say, "That's it," and someone would huh? say, "That's it." I've been huh. there. That's it. That's all there is to it. And also, Massachusetts was the birthplace of the plastic pink lawn flamingo. So Good God. we gave the world that as well as, uh, you know, freedom. And, there, and you've been haunting the world with that ever since. That's right. <laughs> Much apologies well, for that. T- at Plymouth, though, I'll tell you what, that church, when you go into that church and you see all those names of the fishermen yeah. who have died, that really does hit you. You go, my God, that's a dangerous profession especially in the past but of course still now you know you got yeah, the right. storm and all that i mean that really hit me that's what i remember from plymouth is you know just all those names yeah right and, and also like gloucester up in north of boston where they've uh that's where you know the perfect storm that's where it was based out of and gloucester had its sea serpents and uh and, and fishing history you're right it, it's a it's a tough uh it's it is it's, it's tough waters um there's some really treacherous waters out there that are still claiming ships sure Gosh, well, of course, as usual, we're running out of time. We can keep chatting, but uh, it, it's not live, but it is picked up on um, the uh, archive version, and more people tend to hear that anyway. Uh, yeah, so we I actually definitely... lost the live feed about one minute ago. Did we? All right. <laughs> oh, very good. Live feed. Well, thank awesome. you. Good night. <laughs> hey, but I, I want to mention your, your sites here. There's there's jeffbelanger.com, um, J-E-F-F-B-E-L-A-N-G-E-R.com, and that mentions what you're up to and – your books and what's going on? It looks like you got a lecture coming up at Cape Cod Community College. Oh, it's going to be rocking this Friday night. You going to be there? Uh, in spirit. Thanks. <laughs> I will be clutching my copy of your book. <laughs> oh, very good. And thinking about you, but I what I'm just seeing now, looking at that, is you are ghostvillage.com. How cool! Yeah, no, that's I, yeah, it's a site I started back in 1999 and uh, has kind of exploded since. So wow. Uh, so what kind of it's in, it's the top uh, 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 supernatural site? What kind of traffic do you get? We get between eight and twelve million hits a month. Wow! Very nice. Yeah, no, it's it's um it started you know it was back in '99. I had a couple of articles I had written for some newspapers I was working for in the '90s um, on the paranormal, and I wanted to teach myself websites. So I put up six little web pages and said, you know, send us your own ghost experiences. And you know, about every five or six weeks, someone would send something in and. Um, you know, back then what started as six pages is now 55,000 pages of content and uh, just growing. And I'll take credit for starting it, but there's lots of editors and people who, who feed that monster, you know, around the clock and around the world. And uh, it's just kind of become a central repository for discussion of the supernatural and really welcoming all sides of the discussion from the religious, the skeptical, the, the believers, the non-believers, and everything in between. Well, that is very interesting. I will. I, I had certainly heard of it. I'm not sure if I've looked at it, but I will certainly go and and check that out. And wow, that's you know that's a very impressive thing. So so you really were um, interested in the topic, and you you had already been writing about it before the book came along. It wasn't it wasn't because of the book that you got into the topic. Oh no, this is my eighth book. Uh, Weird Massachusetts is my my uh, eighth book that's come out. So my first seven we're on more paranormal topics um, from like haunted places, spirit communication, 
dream interpretation, all these things that are really kind of esoteric. But what I, what I thought back, you know, back in 99, I was like, oh, okay, there are ghosts in haunted places. It seems pretty simple. But then you realize how many, uh, how many beliefs and, uh, you know, practices intersect around this topic, this paranormal topic, which, you know, goes down so many avenues. Um, belief is such a powerful thing. You get into religious studies. You get into the psychic realm. You get into, you know, spirit communication. If there are ghosts, can you talk to them? Can you communicate? And uh, I, my background is in journalism, so I just really tried to go at this as a purely objective, you know, field of research and say, all right, let's talk to the believers. Let's talk to the non-believers. Let's try it. Let's see what we, we learn along the way. And, um, my God, I feel like I, I know less now than I did a decade ago, but, um, but I still have more questions, and it's still a topic that really intrigues me and interests me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got more books coming out. In fact, I have another one coming out later this year. So, um, you know, it's, it's something that uh, I think you can never run out of material on. You have found your niche, it would appear. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny, though, and I you'd never know, like, I was the ghost guy. <laughs> you know, shop at the Gap, short hair, cut the lawn on the weekends. The baby whole bit. face. Baby face, yeah. But, Although uh, maybe you're Dorian Gray or something. Uh, yeah, you know, oh. I, I don't know how it uh, how Somewhere it happened. there's the painting getting older. <laughs> That's right, maybe. Um, but yeah, but no, I mean, I just I I live for the story that that uh, the story more than anything. You know, when when people have some of these profound encounters, and you can and you can document that, and you can look in their eye and see that they've been moved by what they experienced. I just think that's the coolest. And when you can look back in history and, and find that, you know, maybe there's a few events that line up with what this person experienced, I don't know. To me, that's kind of that's, that's story gold. Well, what what is your personal perspective on all this now? I mean, you've been doing all this research for, for uh, what, over 10 years? Yeah, sure. For over 10 uh, years. And I mean, what what do you think? I mean, does the supernatural exist? A, Are you ready? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it away. You don't even have to buy any books or visit any websites. I'm just gonna give it away. Everything I've learned so far. Right. Ready? Yep. Here it comes. After we die, something happens. <laughs> That's how far I've gotten. You believe that though? Are you religious? I do. I I truly do believe that. Uh, I used to be religious, and the more I started studying this, the more I started going, "My God, there's so many different beliefs out there." And is everybody wrong? Is everybody right? You know? And uh, and I think I became uh, a devout agnostic along the way. Well, are um, you a relativist now? <laughs> no, no. I believe I believe in God. I believe in a, a supreme being. Uh, beyond that, I, I and I, that's just my gut talking. I can't prove that to you, but. Um, but at the same time, I just think that uh, belief is such an amazing, powerful thing. It makes people, uh, you know, lift cars off of children. It makes, you know, it makes our monetary system work. <laughs> it makes some people blow themselves up. And, uh, and I think that that's something that really deserves further study. It, it, it motivates people in so many ways. And it, and it all ties in and around the ghost experience. And what I liked about ghosts is that it was almost like the least common denominator of spirituality. You know, Muslims see ghosts, Jews see ghosts, Christians, even atheists see ghosts. It's this, this enigmatic phenomenon that says, hey, there's something else out there beyond death, and you now have to come to grips with it, and you have to deal with that. Um, you know, for, for the person who witnessed the event and has now been changed by it. And I just think that that's, uh, that's a powerful experience worth, uh, worth a closer look. Well, your upcoming book is called Who is Haunting the White House? Is that right? A, a book for that's right. later this year? It, yeah, it's a children's book. It's for uh, middle readers, uh, 9 to 12, where uh, we're using ghosts as kind of an innovative way to teach history. And uh, I called the White House when I was working on this. I actually got to go down there with the help of my congressman and some smooth talking and things like that. And, 
it, it was uh, I couldn't when I said hey you know I'm, I'm interested in writing about the ghost of the White House they said you know we're really not really interested in that <laughs> and I said but we're going to use ghosts as a way to teach history and they said go on and uh, next thing I knew I was in there very good well thanks for spending uh, extra time with us tonight Jeff we appreciate sure. you hanging out for the after show uh, the book the current book is Weird Massachusetts your travel guide to the Massachusetts local legends and best kept secrets. Uh, the new book later in the year will be called Who is Haunting the White House. It's a, a book for kids, but uh, I suspect anybody will be able to learn from it. So uh, thank you again to Jeff, and then also thanks to Chris McDermott of Engage.com earlier in the evening, and to Dave Walker of Five also earlier in the show. And of course, to my co-host, Eric Holt, who's a lot of the people around here. I am Phil Green, and this has been Radio Live. We broadcast live every Wednesday night. If you missed the live broadcast, audio archives are available online. Tune in also Sunday at 6 p.m. to my political show, The Outsider. That's blogtalkradio.com slash outsider. And until then, or until next week, aloha! Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.